Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Tech Talk Radio podcast with me, EG Editor Sam McClary. Joining me for an extended discussion on the EG Tech Talk Radio podcast this episode is Brendan Wallace, founder of Fifth Wall. Now, avid readers of EG will have noticed a flurry of announcements about Fifth Wall over recent weeks and more and more traditional real estate players committing to a number of their funds. EG first met Brendan and co back in 2017 when they were hailed as brave for launching a fund that was dedicated solely to PropTech. Remember those days when we called it PropTech? Since that time, that bravery has paid off and the firm has grown from $212 million under management with seven LPs to $1.7 billion under management and 70 LPs. It's pretty impressive growth, so we thought it was about time that we sat back down with Brendan to get an update on what's been going on. What follows is an hour-long conversation about not just the growth of the business, but the future of the real estate sector, its transformation, and how decarbonisation is going to be the most associated word with real estate within the next five years. Not ROI, not cash flow, not even prop tech. What you'll notice the conversation doesn't include is any chat about Fifth Wall's two SPAC or black check companies it's launched, as regulations in the States means Brendan can't really talk about them just yet, and no one really wants to listen to a no comment. I'm sure, however, we'll be hearing more about those and other investments from the team very, very soon. But for now, sit back and enjoy this big conversation with Fifth Wall's Brendan Wallace. So, Brendan Wallace, uh, hello. How are you doing? That's a big, important question I have to start with um, every every day um, at the moment. How are you? How's life treating you? It's good. You know, it's a little uh, different than I would have anticipated 2021 going uh, or 2020. So I am actually out in Park City, Utah at um, my ski house, and I've kind of been running Fifth Wall remotely from here. So... Um, different but at the same time I think there's a lot of interesting insights that come from the fact that you know I am kind of living firsthand what I think a lot of companies are going through and the downstream consequences for real estate are probably profound um, so I'd say things are good uh, things are great at fifth wall um, but I never would have anticipated that I would be a, a Utah resident in 2020 or 2021 so that's that's new <laughs> Well, it's always always nice to have a new outlook on on life and a new a new window to look out of. So, uh, and and Utah, I uh, I assume is a very beautiful be- beautiful place. Yeah, we uh, we still have snow. Um, hopefully that that persists. We can talk about uh, what Fifth Wall is doing with respect to our climate tech fund to ensure that we still have snow for decades to come out here. Uh, but yeah, it's been nice being out here in the winter. So, fantastic. So the last time. Um, we, e.g. And, and Fifth Wall, had a proper proper sit-down like this was almost four years ago, so in 2017, and you just launched the, the first $200 million fund in the May of that year. You'd got buy-in from CBRE, from Heinz and Prologis, and you were hailed as sort of pioneers as being really brave for investing in in prop tech, as we, as we called it then, uh, and prop tech alone. And four years on, with the pandemic that has massively accelerated people's adoption of tech across all industries. I wonder how you feel about that um, 
those monikers that you were given of um, pioneering and brave that what feels like a long time ago now? Yeah, I mean, when I look back on it, it feels like a long time ago, four years ago, because, you know, when I first did that interview with Emily, we had just raised our first fund. Um, we raised a $212 million fund that was 2017. And at the time, you have to remember, prop tech was not a thing. Uh, we raised our first fund and we raised that into an environment of financial LPs saying, you know, financial investors saying, we don't even understand what real estate technology means. Is that even a category? Um, and I remember at the time saying, yes, if it isn't today, it certainly will be 13% of the US economy the largest industry is about to collide with technology. And there are literally going to be hundreds of billions of dollars of enterprise value created at this intersection. Um, but that was at the time, I think, a fairly original idea. It was, it was novel. Um, and so I guess when we raised that first fund, it kind of institutionalized and validated and kind of in some ways gave credence to that thesis. That fifth wall wasn't alone in having, I think we were really just the first to raise capital at scale to do so. The other thing that I think it gave credence to was when we we raised the first fund, our thesis was that there is all this potential. Real estate tech has this unique characteristic where technical risk is not usually, or technical differentiation is not usually deterministic in outcomes, meaning there's so many pain points that real estate owner, operator, developers face that usually what determines who wins and who loses are these large real estate corporates the British lands of the world, the Heinz of the world, the Marriott's of the world. So their adoption or non-adoption of technology has this kind of kingmaker characteristic. So these corporates have all this potential, but corporates on their own doing venture is a terrible idea. They usually fail at it. And you kind of have, I think, now seen that. We were kind of a alternative solution to corporates doing venture capital on their own. And what we did was build this consortium where we said, by virtue of having so many corporates in one fund, we can open all these distribution lanes for our startups. By virtue of that, we have more distribution than any corporate operating on their own. So in the intervening four years, you've kind of seen the very high profile failures of corporate venture capital in the real estate industry. Fifth Wall as a firm has also grown, meaning I think the industry is overwhelmingly voting to be part of a consortium right, to be part of a group of LPs all investing in technology. Um, but at the time, that wasn't also clear. So I'd say those two things are, have definitely been, I would say, decisively validated. One, that real estate tech is a category, and we can talk about the performance of our, our fund one. But two, that real estate corporates should do venture capital. They just should not do it on their own, and that it's kind of irresponsible to do so. I guess the third thing that probably we didn't anticipate that I was not saying back then, but we are saying now is that this collision of real estate and technology is a lot more um, multi-dimensional than we originally thought. I mean, the original incarnation of Fifth Wall was prop tech. We invest in technology for the physical plant of real estate. And that is what we did. It was some FinTech, there was some building systems technology. But now we understand it's it's more nuanced than that. That one, there's this geographic dispersion. So real estate technology ecosystems are evolving in Europe from real estate corporates and startups. Same thing is happening in Asia. Same thing is happening globally. But also that there's other, these kind of orthogonal collisions between e-commerce disruption 
and retail real estate and technology, which is we instantiated in kind of a retail fund or sustainability and decarbonization and technology and real estate, which we built our climate tech fund around. So this collision is just a lot bigger than we had thought. Um, but it's just interesting to kind of have lived through that uh, because back then we were, our fund was 212 million under management with one fund all focused on the US. Today we have 1.7 billion under management you know, our first fund had seven strategic LPs. Now we have 70 from 15 different countries and all these products. So in some ways, we're kind of a we're kind of a medium through which to tell the the expansion of real estate tech as a category. Um, so happy to walk through kind of any part of that for you. Yeah, well, well, let's talk about I mean, because that is a, that's a, a massive growth in, in four years, isn't it? isn't it from seven to 70 and from 212 million to 1.7 billion billion dollars so you you must be pretty pretty happy but I'd really love to I guess get a real um visual of what what the fifth wall business looks like now compared to compared to um 2017 and 2017 and and what what it feels like now as well I suppose and and you talked um there about um, you know, you went in thinking this was prop tech, but it's so much more than more than that. And so I'd just like to hear hear a little bit more about about that journey. Maybe I'll tell you just the story of like how we evolved into this. So, you know, 2016 was when Brad and I first set out to raise our first fund that was targeted to be a $200 million fund. We had this original concept that we're going to be sector focused on prop tech was kind of the first unique feature of the fund. The second unique feature was that we're going to bring in the largest owners and operators and developers of real estate, the largest users and adopters of the technology we're investing in as LPs. And by virtue of those relationships and those kind of high trust, interactive kind of consultative engagements with our strategic LPs, we'll know, or at the very least be able to influence what the market does around technology adoption in the real estate sector before it does it. So that fund was 212 million. We had CBRE, Prologis, uh, Lennar, Heinz, Host Hotels, Equity Residential, and Maestrich, all in that first fund. I think what we saw was that the model worked really well, right? That the reason, you know, venture capital funds that don't have corporate LPs in them tend to underperform in real estate tech. Your cat is also. She always wants to get in on every. I guess she's especially interested in, in this point of it, Absolutely. which is, you know, one of the, the theses was the reason generalist VCs have kind of failed to invest well in real estate tech is because they don't have this insider information. They don't understand what the demand side of real estate is going to do. And I think that's kind of been validated, right? The other side of it was that, that corporates on their own need, need help. They need someone to help them navigate the technology ecosystem. And, we had kind of seen, you know, CBRE and Prologis and Brookfield kind of dabble in doing their own corporate venture funds, but not with tremendous success. And so we built this solution where we said, by virtue of a consortium, by virtue of this pool of strategic LPs, we'll be able to deliver more value to them. So when you look at the fund one of Fifth Wall, um, I think what you see is that it, it almost batted a thousand on kind of the most, well, that's, that's a very American term. I don't know what the the British correspondent there's, there's probably a cricket one, but that would go over a, my head. had a 100% hit rate, I would say, on, you know, the most iconic 
transformative real estate tech companies to come out of the last five years. So companies like Opendoor, you know, which is today a 15 to $20 billion company. Companies like Hippo and States Title and Blend and VTS and Industrious and Clutter. I mean, kind of the most successful companies we got first look at both because we knew about partnership decisions that were being made with our strategic LPs before they happened or we kind of influenced it, or the companies just wanted fifth well in their fund. So that was our first fund. Our second fund, did I lose you? No, I'm here. <laughs> um, our second fund was kind of an expansion. We really leaned into that strategy. We said, one, the consortium model clearly works. We have all this asymmetric information that you know gives us alpha in investing. So we expanded the number of strategic LPs and we went from seven U.S. strategic LPs to, I think, 40 in our fund two strategic LPs from, I think it was 11 different countries when we raised it. And in some categories, so for example, like home building, we basically had the entire industry. So in fund one, we had Lennar, the largest U.S. home builder. In fund two, we had Lennar, D.R. Horton, Pulte and Toll Brothers. So that's four of the top five U.S. home builders, 20% of new homes built in the U.S. So that kind of further accelerates the investment edge you have. And that kind of happened across all sectors. So in office and in industrial and in retail, more corporates came into the fifth wall consortium. We also expanded internationally. And I think we've talked a little bit to your publication about that, which is we brought in British land from the U.K. and Seagrove from the U.K. and Jacina, the largest owner in France, and Merlin, the largest owner in Spain. So Kind of expanded our geographic footprint in Europe. We also did the same in Asia. So we have Mitsubishi Estate, Tomasic, Canadix, um, city developments in, in Singapore. So East Asia, we started to build kind of beachheads where we could distribute our technologies as well. Fund two, I would say, has kind of just further, I'd say, expanded you know, the fifth wall reach from a distribution perspective but also the category of prop tech was getting larger. So our fund one was 212 million, our fund two was $503 million. So kind of reflected that the category was maturing and growing up. Um, at the same time, we also decided to launch our retail fund, which is we recognize that technology and commerce and real estate were all colliding and that there was this opportunity to invest in disruptive emerging new retail concepts, kind of what's broadly defined as like omnichannel, where a brand or a concept has both a online presence, but also an offline brick and mortar presence, that we would have a massive edge in investing there to the extent we could bring in large institutional real estate landlords. So we launched a retail fund, which is today a $125 million vehicle. We also launched our European fund kind of building off the strong relationships we had built in Europe from our fund too. Um, and so we haven't announced the final close or size of that, but you've probably seen some of the announcements. A lot of the largest, most institutional European real estate owners are now investing in Fifth Wall's European consortium, which is really the same thing that we do in the US, just in Europe for Europe. And then lastly, we started to recognize that the real estate industry has this outsized impact on climate change. So the real estate industry in the US is about 13% of the US economy, of US GDP. But it represents about 40% of CO2 emissions. So as big as the real estate is in the real estate industry is in the economy, it's even bigger when it comes to climate change. And that 
is troublesome, right? And there's kind of some culpability there in the climate crisis, but there's also opportunity, which is that the real estate industry is definitionally going to become the single largest consumer of climate mitigation technologies, like 100%. That is the most surefire conclusion anyone can draw about climate tech is that the real estate industry has to be its biggest customer. While we were realizing this, we also saw that the real estate industry didn't have a great plan for investing in the R&D, the technology that is required to decarbonize the industry. So we launched our climate tech fund, very much modeled off the thesis of all of our funds, which is, could we build a consortium of the largest, in this case, most institutional, but also environmentally progressive real estate organizations that want to invest in the R&D to reduce the real estate industry's operational and embodied carbon footprint. And that today is Fifthwell's Climate Tech Fund. So today, kind of now across the platform, we have all of these different vehicles, um, all of which articulate different um, theses and dimensions of this collision between real estate and tech. We have 1.7 billion under management and we have 70 uh, strategic owner operator developers as LPs in that consortium. So the, the benefits of that are, are manifold, right? Like clearly we are a believer that a single solution, right, in asset management makes sense. Um, and I can talk about that if you'd like, like what are the downstream benefits we're seeing from an investment perspective? But yeah, it's, it's kind of been a fun journey to, to build this over the last four years. It, it certainly sounds like one and, and a educational journey uh, uh, as well. And, you know, for you guys, but I think especially for the real estate commu community, because, you know, I'd like to um, stick with the, the, the with climate change if we if we can, because I think that, you know, that's probably the biggest, biggest issue on every business, whether they're real estate or not um, agenda right now. And, you know, we would have expected to have seen I suppose through every other re recession or downturn you see anything sustainability or green move down down the agenda but through this pandemic and I guess because of what the pandemic is we've only seen it move move up and I I just wonder what sort of um engagement I guess you're getting from from the real estate community and really understanding the the role that they have to have to play in you know in finding a solution and, and whether there is enough um cohesion i guess within the built environment communities for us to actually make a real, a real difference it's a great question and maybe i'll just kind of tell you how the idea for fifth walls climate tech fund dawned on us so you know we kind of uncovered this um, unfortunate statistic that the real estate industry is the single most culpable, most responsible industry in climate change for no other, re no other reason than it's 30% of energy consumption, 40% of CO2 emissions, and it's responsible for 40% of the world's raw materials consumption. So it's, it's kind of the culprit in the climate crisis that's been hiding in plain sight. And despite that, it, it hasn't really occupied the spotlight, right? So a lot of the discussion around climate mitigation focuses on the automotive industry or the shipping industry or the plastics industry, but it's actually the real estate industry that is the, the single biggest lever the world can turn on altering the course of climate change. 
So when we looked at that, we said, okay, what are the technologies that exist today? And with all the best technologies that exist today, from energy efficient motors to better HVAC systems to uh, materials technology, the real estate industry, if they deploy everything that exists today, can mitigate about 50% of their operational carbon impact. So with all the stuff you have today, all the stuff that's been built over the last decades, you can get about 50% of the way there. So like, okay, there's a massive R&D technical problem, which is you need to be investing in the R&D and technology to collapse that other 50% so that real estate owner operator developers can actually reduce the carbon footprint of their buildings to true carbon zero. However, when we kind of peeled back the layers of real estate firms saying, you know, we've won this green standard or we're committing to this ambitious goal or we're doing this thing. Now, all of it's good. It's not to suggest that all of that is not good and positive and well-intentioned, but we were, we were not seeing that they were investing into the technology that is required for them to actually get to true carbon zero. And we looked over the last 10 years and we saw that the real estate industry in the United States over the last decade in aggregate has invested $94 million into the R&D to mitigate its climate impact. So this is investment into the science of it. And we were like, that is a shockingly low number. I mean, that's like, you know, a fifth of a building, right? It's, 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 it's almost nothing. It almost rounds down to zero when you consider how, how the, the magnitude of the real estate industry's contribution to this problem. And we, we saw that as a collective action problem which is the real estate industry doesn't know how to invest in R&D. What the real estate industry has done, and I think has done an okay job of, is buying existing technology. So when a real estate company installs solar panels on the roofs of its buildings, that is a very good thing and we should applaud that. But that's not investing, that's deploying and buying technology that other people have invested to make it commercially ready, right? So there's this conflation that I think sometimes is a little bit deliberate when real estate firms say, we've invested hundreds of millions of dollars, right, in kind of reducing our carbon footprint. What they almost always mean is we are deploying technologies other people have developed to reduce our carbon footprint. But it takes a long time for new technologies to become commercially viable. And the way they can become commercially viable faster is if you put more money into R&D and science, and the real estate industry is not doing that. So we looked at this problem and we said, how would we solve this leveraging fifth walls model? And we said, again, this looks like a collective action problem, which is any individual real estate company investing on their own is unlikely to, one, invest well in climate mitigation technology, and two, the magnitude of their investment into it is, is relatively small. So you have this huge kind of uh, this problem that always comes and always appears in the real estate industry of too much granularity, too much concentration of value in the long tail where an individual owner of multifamily buildings or office buildings, they don't know what to do. So we so what if we built a single consolidated pool of capital where every real estate owner could contribute capital into that and all of that capital would go into the R&D to invest in technologies that can reduce the real estate industry's operational and embodied carbon footprint. That is exactly what we've done. 
So it is kind of a collective action solution for the real estate industry to proactively begin investing in the technology, which it historically has not invested in, to reduce its carbon footprint. Um, so far, we've had we haven't announced the first close of the fund yet. We have announced that, for example, Ivanhoe Cambridge, uh, which is kind of a I think a very environmentally progressive real estate capital allocator and real estate operator. Um, they have put $85 million into fifth wall in total, and $25 million of that was allocated specifically to fifth wall's climate tech fund, which is, I hope, a harbinger of what is about to come. And, you know, I hope that real estate owners listening to this are saying, well, am I doing my part, right? Is my company doing what is required to actually, over the next two decades, bring uh, my assets to a position of truly being carbon neutral. And the delta there is a technology gap, right? Like just to be clear, the, 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 from where we are today in terms of the best climate mitigation technologies available to the real estate industry and where we need to get to is literally hundreds of billions of dollars of R&D spent. And if the real estate industry is not contributing to it, I think they should start to ask themselves some hard questions, right? It is no longer sufficient to buy other people's technology. You have to be a positive, proactive actor and contributor in this crisis. And I think that's incumbent on every industry, but especially real estate. Absolutely. And I want to come um, later in the conversation to um, something I love talking about, which is, is is talent. And I think that that plays into this um, massively. But you, you um, you talked about um, sort of the real estate market not not really knowing what it what it has to has to do or how to how to do how to make a difference and that you know if they collectively invest you guys can make can make that make that difference and I, and I wonder if that's you know that's um, that's the real power that we can see that and and I, and I guess. Over the last week or so, as you've announced, um, investors in the European fund, most of the the commentary from those investors from 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 Knight Frank in, in particular, they talked about, you know, really wanting to utilize um, your knowledge and sort of educate themselves so they didn't miss out. So I'd just be really keen to sort of understand from you how you feel about taking on that educator role and, um, you know, sort of whether you feel I guess a bit of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Responsibility, I suppose, for the transformation of the of the real estate sector. It's a huge responsibility. Um, you know, when we started Fifth Wall, we were always very clear-eyed about the fact that for a real estate company to invest in a venture capital fund, there's kind of a double bottom line that they're seeking. Of course, they're seeking strategic value and kind of a derivative intellectual insights, kind of the intellectual exhaust of all the investment activity that we're doing and how that in turn impacts their business as a real estate company. And so Fifth Wall has a massive team that focuses on precisely this, which is like, how do we educate our large real estate corporates? And part of that has come from, I think, also real estate firms being more self-aware about how to engage with technology. You know. In the early days of Fifth Wall, we would talk to large real estate corporates and we would say, look, we're raising this fund, we're building this consortium of the largest owners and operators, we think you should be a part of it. 
we kind of got one of three answers. Um, one was we're a real estate company. Um, we shouldn't do technology. We don't do technology. We do buildings. We build buildings. We operate buildings. We capitalize buildings. Um, but we don't do technology. Um, I think everyone in the last four years recognizes that's a losing strategy. My guess is a lot of those CEOs are gone. Right? <laughs> that is that is the wrong side of history, and I think everyone kind of now appreciates that. But back in 2016, you heard it quite a bit from real estate companies. Option two, and kind of the second response we would receive is, we can do this ourselves. You know, we we can be great venture investors, and so you know, it had all different forms. Sometimes it was kind of institutional. They'd hire you know some person who had kind of done some technology investing to do it in-house and they'd allocate some small amount of capital and build an accelerator. It never really worked. That was kind of the, the more professional end of it. The other extreme of it was, you know, the the CEO's nephew who used Facebook a lot was kind of <laughs> battlefield promoted into being a venture investor the next day. But what tended to happen is these large corporates were just not very good at investing in the right technologies. And so they drew the wrong conclusion that, oh, it's really hard to do this. And the reality is, I mean, yes, it is hard to do, but with the right investment talent, it isn't that hard to do. The problem is the best venture capital technology investment talent is never, ever going to work at a real estate company. They're not going to work at a large industrial owner. They're not going to work at a large office owner. They just don't want to work there. So kind of the power right in having a third party manager is that you can hire exceptional investment talent the power of fifth wall is both that we have this intimate high trust connection with our strategic lps where we're engaged with them we kind of can open the distribution they offer to our portfolio companies but the power really lies in the fact that we are not our strategic lps one we're actually a lot bigger from a distribution standpoint. Fifth wall today, if you looked at the aggregate distribution of our strategic LPs, is probably like 20x the size of some of the largest real estate companies, larger than Blackstone, larger than Brookfield by orders of magnitude. Hmm. Um, but at the same time, we can make independent, kind of financially minded, uh, risk adjusted investments into the prop tech ecosystem, into the best companies. And the lesson that I think a lot of corporates that tried to do corporate venture capital on their own learned the hard way is that what kinds of companies tend to attract corporate venture capital? The worst companies. That's the answer, right? There's an adverse selection. So company like the, the thing that I think corporate VCs are, are now realizing is that there are no good secrets in Silicon Valley and venture capital. There are no well-kept secrets. The best companies everyone knows and the best VCs are all going after them. And if you're a real estate owner operator developer, you don't have a chance of getting access to them. And the thing that matters most strategically for your business is getting access to those companies, not the companies that are thirsty for capital and go around raising from office owners and you know do deals with the nephews of the real estate scions to put in some capital their business. There, there's a kind of huge distinction there. And I think the real estate industry, it hasn't fully dawned on it, but it's starting to recognize that there is a better alternative. Now I'm biased because obviously I started Fifth Wall, but an independent venture capital fund that has the strategic priorities of the real estate industry in mind is professionally managed and professionally resourced. 
and is investing for financial upside is actually the best solution when it is a consortium, when it offers all this distribution. So um, seeing the arc of the real estate industry's enlightenment around that has been, um, I think, confidence inspiring for fifth wall. Um, but it speaks to the question you asked, which is, isn't there a lot of responsibility incumbent on fifth wall to then educate our large institutional real estate corporates? And the answer is yes, it's a huge responsibility. Uh, and we take it very seriously. It's a very grave responsibility. So I think if you talk to British Land or Seagro or Jacina or Marriott or Heinz or Hudson Pacific or Mitsubishi Estate, you would hear the thing we like working with Fifth Wall the most, the aspect of Fifth Wall that we find most uh, attractive and why we want to continue to invest in their funds is that they generate outstanding financial returns, but at the same time, they balance that with kind of how to tether the best companies that they're investing in with our strategic priorities. And what we now realize is getting access to the best, most disruptive companies, the companies that will never attract corporate venture capital, is what matters. That is what matters. I can give a bunch of examples around that, um, but I, I gave a very long-winded answer. To your <laughs> so I'll let I, you ask the next one. I was gonna say, um, it, without giving away too, true, um, trade, too many trade secrets, um, unless you want to, how do you how do you stay informed then and how do you find those um those disruptive companies the you know all of the um portfolio companies that you've invested in where are you where are you going going to and and getting your insights so you can pass that on to the the real estate sector so i'll, I'll answer that question kind of two ways one is how we source deals and the other is how we convey the insights that we derive from looking at those deals to our real estate corporates. In terms of how we source deals, the first part of that, I'd say Fifth Wall sources deals from kind of three different channels. One is just our brand, right? I think Fifth Wall today is kind of synonymous with real estate tech for a bunch of reasons. One, we were you know, the first firm to come out and say that it was a category. We Certainly, have had the most successful track record investing in the space. We're certainly the biggest. We have the largest consortium. So, the result of that is that the best entrepreneurs seek fifth wall out. Right? They are seeking fifth wall out to the exclusion of corporate investors doing corporate investing on their own, to the exclusion, oftentimes, of other generalist VCs. So, one is just organic brand-based deal flow that we get. I would say we almost see probably 99.999% of the best deal flow in PropTech just from our, our brand. The second channel is our corporates themselves. So as you can imagine, when you work with large institutional real estate owners, they are being presented with new technologies, not necessarily from an investment perspective, but perhaps just from an adoption perspective all the time. So with 70 strategic LPs, that's a lot of inbound technologies that they're seeing. They in turn share those with Fifth Wall because they want our viewpoint on that. And by the way, many of those companies are overlapping. So companies find us from our brand. We then connect that to the feedback that we're getting from our large real estate corporates. The third channel is actually generalist VCs. And as I mentioned, the best technology companies in prop tech or outside of prop tech, they're usually no secret. The best venture capital funds are usually in them or seeking to invest in them. And they're looking for an edge to invest in them. Fifth Wall is a very attractive syndicate partner. Why? Because we're not a generalist fund, but we offer something 
that no other generalist VC can offer on their own, right? We're not just saying, oh, we're focused on real estate tech. We're saying we're focused on real estate tech, but we have all these distribution lanes into the largest customers of the very technologies you're trying to invest in. So we're, I would probably say the most sought after syndicate partner for generalist VCs looking at deals. And so as a result, entrepreneurs want us in, VCs want us in. So if you look at Fifth Wall's portfolio, a lot of our investments have come in situations where a round is closed, right? It was previously closed, very hard to get into, but the VCs or the entrepreneur wants Fifth Wall to come into that company so much that they open that round for us. And that's a very attractive way to enter businesses. Um, so across those three channels, we kind of see everything. I would almost describe Fifth Wall today as kind of a black hole for deal flow in real estate technology. And that's by design, right? That is how we design the firm and why we've productized and expanded and grown our funds as we have. But the second part of the question is, how do we then take those insights from having access to all that deal flow and share it with our strategic LPs? And I'd say this is going to be a, a synopsis of a very complicated exercise. But the first overarching principle is you have to build a high trust relationship with your strategic investors. And Fifth Wall does that. So the real estate industry is a relationship driven industry. You have to earn that trust. Part of that comes from really acutely and intimately understanding the pain points of our strategic LPs. So it's almost like doing a diagnostic with them and saying, hey, what are the technology pain points and priorities that you have as an organization? How could different point solutions solve that? What have you looked at today? What's the apparatus internally for approving these new technologies? How would you measure success? We have to unpack all of that. And then there's kind of a mapping exercise where by virtue of all the technologies we see from the tech ecosystem, from all these deal flow channels, we map to those different priorities, right? Sometimes we invest, sometimes we don't. The situations where we invest are usually where we know about an imminent adoption decision from a large real estate corporate. So if one or many corporates are saying, this solution, this technology solution we intend to partner with, we intend to sign a contract with, it's gonna have this impact on that company's growth, that represents a very attractive way to invest. And when you look at Fifth Wall's investments in companies like VTS, or open door right those were exactly what happened there we uncovered in the case of open door this massive strategic priority for lennar the largest u.s home builder to identify an iBuyer partner we identified open door and there were also competitors there were companies like um OfferPad was actually one of the ones surprisingly they were first looking at in the early days and we said this is the right partnership and we put the two companies together we made a very significant investment in Open Door. We architected that investment with kind of um, additional upside tied to that partnership value. And then Lennar made a massive SPV investment into the company through Fifth Wall. So in aggregate, Fifth Wall, I actually can't say the total amount that we invested into Open Door, but between our fund and bringing Lennar in through our SPV, it was massive. Um, and obviously that was when the company was about $800 million was its valuation. Today, it's a, depending on the, the trading day in the stock market, it's a 15 to $20 billion valuation company. So um, that is the model. And the important thing to unpack there is not just that 
fifth wall generated this massive financial return for our fund investors and for Lennar, but also that Lennar has derived all this strategic value because of fifth wall's introduction, because we mediated and structured that partnership. That's what's so unique in this instance. And and you mentioned there, you know, the the discussions that you have with um, um, your your um, with your investors about their their pain points. One of one of the conversations I find myself having a lot with with um, real estate companies here in the in the UK, and particularly those who who get tech, is that there is a massive skills gap within um, the C-suite, I suppose, of of some of the biggest. Um, real estate companies. So I wonder if if sometimes you have to work really hard to help those companies really understand what their what their real pain points are, um, whether they might think, oh no, this is our problem, but you need someone to say that that's not the problem. This is the this is the issue here. That's right. Uh, you know, I think everyone intuitively understands their problems very well, or they think they do, um, but they don't necessarily know what's the right solution for them. Um, and I'll give kind of a maybe another example, you know, from Fifth Wall's um, from Fifth Wall's track record, which kind of I think brings this to light. So, in the case of uh, State's Title, which is now called Doma, um, this was a company that Fifth Wall uh, invested in. We were actually the first money into the company. Uh, we thought it was a really creative and innovative solution to you know just the inefficiencies of what is today title insurance and i know that title insurance is this kind of pretty idiosyncratic u.s financial instrument but it's a massive industry 15 billion dollar industry um, and you have to get a title insurance policy every time you buy a home very painful uh, very costly uh, for the consumer to uh, it's very costly and painful for the home buyer to engage with buying title insurance when the thing they really want to do is just buy a home. Now, Lennar wants to be able to sell homes in a very streamlined, efficient fashion. They want to reduce the friction for their home buyers and deliver a more elegant, faster, cheaper experience where it, it's truly digitally native, where there's the least points of friction for the home buyer. So Fifth Wall invested in state's title. As I said, we were the first money in, and we kept Lennar, our strategic LP, really close to them. Lennar's initial reaction uh, was that this business won't work. We don't see it as you know, really being viable. They have to get all these licenses in all these states. There's all these kind of challenges with the traditional title insurance business, and we don't think they're going to overcome it. And that was their view at the outset. And what Fifth Wall did is just keep the two companies very, very close. And as state's title continued to develop its technology and made more and more progress, Lennar started to see the light. Right, because they'd invested with Fifth Wall, because we were keeping them very, very close. And we mediated, honestly, probably 15 different conversations to try to structure a partnership between the two. Ultimately, what happened is Lennar recognized that this was a better solution. They happened to own an analog title insurance business, like a traditional non-tech-enabled title insurance business that was captive and sold title insurance to their home buyers. It was called North American Title. And we merged the two businesses. So the benefit obviously to state's title was you know, downstream distribution through the Lennar uh, home builder network, but also the fact that they were kind of instantly licensed in all these states, the fact that they had this 
instant on the ground broker distribution network that they they inherited from the analog title insurance business. And today, you know, you've probably seen that the company is a tremendous financial success. Um, but the first, in, the reason I highlight that story is the first instinct of Lennar was, we don't think this will work. We actually don't think this is the solution to the pain point that we have. They definitely wanted a better solution to title insurance, but they didn't think state's title represented that. And it was really only through the work of Fifth Wall in taking that early bet in knowing that Max, the CEO there, was the kind of entrepreneur that rarely comes along, certainly never comes along in a space like title insurance, and that he was going to execute on his vision. It was really through Fifth Wall mediating that that state's title ultimately merged with North American. And by the way, Fifth Wall has done this, for example, in the case of Lennar, I would say four times over in really transformative ways. So Fifth Wall was the first money into and then brokered a subsequent Lennar partnership for Opendoor, State's Title, Hippo, the digital home insurance company, and Blend. And you can read about on uh, in Lennar's recent earnings call, Lennar estimates that they're going to return a billion and a half dollars to their balance sheet from their investments in strategic technology. Fifth Wall was the tip of the spear on all of that. And so I think what's interesting, and I think this case study of Lennar represents, is that Lennar is an outstanding home builder. Um, they understood their pain points and their, their tech priorities. What they didn't truly grasp was which were the right companies to partner with. And that's where Fifth Wall came in. We identified the best-in-class technology companies, Open Door, States, Title, Hippo, and Blend, that were about to emerge as category leaders. We invested in them early. We brought Lennar in. Lennar actually invested in SPVs through Fifth Wall in all of these businesses. We generated a massive financial return to Fifth Wall and our investors, to Lennar, right, and their balance sheet, but also massive strategic value, both to Lennar but also to these businesses. And now in our fund too, as I mentioned, we brought in DR Horton, Pulte and Toll Brothers. So now a lot of the partnerships and the, the, the structures that we created to accelerate the growth of our portfolio companies, we're applying to other home builders. So it's further accelerating what Hippo, Open Door, Blend and State's Title are doing. So it's a good example of like how Fifth Wall does have this huge responsibility in that we are dealing with the largest real estate corporates on earth who can play kingmaker with the right technology businesses if they partner with them in the right ways. But our responsibility is to make sure that they partner with the right technology companies and that those partnerships are successful. And the derivative of that is huge strategic value to the corporate, but also, you know, in the case of these deals, huge financial returns also to fifth wall. And is that process becoming easier or because you know, the, the real estate market is, you know, progressing through its transformation or is it becoming more difficult because there is, you know, there's a lot of noise in the tech, tech sector now as, as well because people have seen it as, oh, hey, we can we can solve a problem. Not everyone can solve, solve a problem. For Fifth Wall, it's becoming a lot easier. Um, and I would say it's becoming easier for a bunch of reasons. One, we have all these proof points, right? So the fact that we've done it so many times, right, has just attracted you know, the best entrepreneurs say, I want that to happen to my business. So they seek us out. 
it attracts more strategic LPs. So DR Horton, Pulte, and Toll Brothers looked at what Lennar was doing, and they were saying, I want to do that. I want to be a part of those partnerships as well. So if you kind of think about Fifth Wall as a network, the network just naturally grows with proof points. The best entrepreneurs seek Fifth Wall out to kind of structure these transformative partnerships with us. The largest corporate LPs seek us out. Um, I would say there is more noise, absolutely, in the prop tech ecosystem, but if you really know what to look for, there's not that much noise. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if you talk to some corporate venture investors and they say there's a lot of noise and some of their portfolios do well and some of them don't. But I mean, you look at Fifth Wall's portfolio and you're like, how is it that one venture fund has had such a high hit rate on the most transformative, highest performing prop tech companies? And it's not luck. It's by design. It's the unique architecture of our firm. It's the very first thing, you know, we talked about, Samantha, which is the fact that we brought in these corporates, the fact that we're clear eyed about the fact they're, they're seeking strategic value as well as financial return. The fact that we were the first institutional fund in PropTech, the fact that we've now built this multi product global consortium. Um, I guess what I'd say is to me, it actually feels easier um, than it did when we first started because when we first started, this model that you could generate outsized financial returns by structuring these kingmaker partnerships, that was subject to proof. Fifth Wall had never done it in our first fund. Now we've done it probably 50, 100 times over. I don't know, but a lot of times. And by virtue of that, it just attracts more of the best startups. They kind of find you. It attracts more of the most thoughtful, kind of self-aware strategic LPs. And my belief from the outset was that a single solution in this space, a single connective tissue between the prop tech ecosystem and the large real estate corporates is the best solution for everyone, for the prop tech companies, because they get all this distribution, for the corporates, because they get to benefit and draft off the tailwinds and other insights of all the other real estate corporates and what they're doing, and for fifth wall, because by virtue of being the dominant brand in prop tech, we get access to the best companies. So it's a very different model um, a venture. I haven't seen it play out in other ecosystems, um, but I would actually say my experience has been the opposite. It, it seems to be getting better as the consortium, as the network, and as the kind of scale of our products has grown. Fantastic. And um, I, uh, I've got a couple, couple more questions for you. And I, I you know, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time, although I could pick your brain for hours. I think, but. Um, we ran a piece of content right at the beginning of the year where we asked um, a lot of our sort of future leaders and rising stars of the real estate industry what they or who they thought were going to be the most important people in um, the built environment over the next five five years. And they came up with two types of uh, of people. Um, they weren't brokers and they and they weren't bankers, but they were data scientists and um, sort of environmental specialists. And I wonder if that's something that you would agree with that those are those will be the powerful people going going forward and and if you do what why you think they they're they're going to be our leaders going going forward so i would definitely agree on the environmental side of things um you know if if i were to guess what is the the single most associated word with the real estate industry five years down the road. It's not going to be NOI or cash flow or NAV or even prop tech. It's going to be decarbonization. 
or sustainability, one of the two. Um, the real estate industry's problem of its carbon contribution and its role in the climate crisis, you actually cannot overstate it. The real estate industry is going to have to undergo a full-scale existential mindset shift from being a real estate business, which used to be pretty easy, relatively easy, at the very least straightforward, right? You had to build, buy, own, operate, collect rent on real estate assets. It's going to become being a sustainability business. And it's going to be that way for probably three reasons. One is regulators are now acutely attuned to the fact that the real estate industry is responsible for more than any other industry, is responsible for more, more than any other industry for the climate crisis. It's the single biggest lever we can turn. So the regulators get it. It's embedded in the Paris Agreement, local regulators, the mayor of London, mayors in the US, they all understand it. So the real estate industry is now clearly and squarely in the spotlight of regulators' attention when it comes to climate mitigation. The second thing is the capital markets now get it. So obviously people have seen you know, Larry Fink's letter and what BlackRock is saying around the imperative to decarbonize our economy. Well, the real estate industry is 13% of the US economy and 40% of CO2 emissions. So it's the place to focus. Um, and probably more so than any other industry, the real estate industry is a capital markets driven industry, right? That, that is definitional to what the real estate industry is. And so as large capital allocators come to focus on this, it's gonna have downstream implications for the real estate industry. And it already has. I mean, it's harder to get a mortgage. It's harder to get an insurance policy if you don't have a path to being a low or no carbon footprint uh, real estate asset. The third thing is actually consumers and tenants. So the end users of real estate are, are acutely focused on this as well. Like, you know, people, people hear about these big decarbonization pledges, like from Amazon. They say, oh, wow, Amazon is committing to be carbon neutral. What they don't realize is that embedded in that statement is a correspondent commitment of all of their suppliers to being carbon neutral. And it's a little non-intuitive, but the real estate industry is probably the single biggest industry supplier to Amazon. Data centers, industrial warehouses, office buildings, now, you know, retail assets. So if you don't have low or, low or no carbon footprint real estate, you're not going to be leasing to Amazon. So this juggernaut is coming. Um, in some ways, it's already here for the real estate industry. I think the real estate industry has been caught a little bit flat-footed today because, as we mentioned, there's this massive R&D gap that other industries have been well ahead of. Like you look at the automotive industry, which had a similar dynamic, and Tesla have been investing in R&D to build electric cars, and they have been for over the last decade. Mm -hmm. And now they're bearing the fruit of that and how these vehicles are being commercialized. No one in the real estate industry has been doing that. So they need to start now. So I would totally agree that I think the most visible and important people in the real estate industry are going to be those that embrace this imperative to decarbonize the whole industry. Um, and I honestly, I think that they should be celebrated and championed. Um, when it comes to data scientists, I agree. There's a lot of derivative data from, you know, the, the, the use and, the, and the, cons the changing consumer behavior patterns with respect to how they engage with real estate. Um, I think that actually has implications for the first point, which is 
understanding how people are using assets and how tenants are engaging with assets has really important implications for how to reduce their carbon footprint. Um, but I would say the clearest and most obvious to me is this imperative to decarbonize. And so I think the, you know, the front cover of your magazine five years down the road will be people that are decarbonizing the real estate industry. What I would say is that the CEOs of real estate companies that embrace this now could become the Elon Musk equivalent, right, for the industry. I don't know who that is today, but there are some real estate companies that will absolutely lean into this. They will start to put a lot of money into R&D and tech to decarbonize this asset class. And not only will they probably be celebrated icons of the industry, they'll probably quickly emerge as the industry leader because the same pattern has played out in other industries as well. It just hasn't yet started in real estate. I wonder who that Elon Musk of real estate will be. We'll have to keep our keep our eyes peeled. And it, it, that kind of brings me to my um, question around around talent, because I think, you know, you mentioned that, you know, consumers are really um, concerned about what's going on environmentally. And I think, you know, we as individuals, we are, too. And you want you want to not just work in a building that um, isn't damaging this wonderful planet of ours, but you want to work for a company that takes it takes it seriously too and i know i was um listening to your your chat with uh, ivanhoe cambridge actually and i know that they for them it's really important in terms of talent acquisition to be to take a stand and and have a have a purpose around um the the planet and what they're what they're doing and one of my one of the other things that we're really focused on at eg alongside tech alongside um sustainability is sort of uh, well, social impact and um, diversity and particularly inclusion as well. And that, I think that all plays into this talent acquisition for for um, not just real estate, but every every business. And that I, I guess that took, took my brain down a little um, side alley to to wonder whether we'd ever see, you know, um, capital have a role to play in that transformation as well as it has in tech as it is going to in sustainability will we see the capital force change in social impact and and diversity as well um i think so i think it already has and i think that the most progressive real estate companies are internalizing this um i think the real estate industry is an industry that never really self-conceptualized as having kind of an ESG mandate. Um, but if you look kind of at just the COVID crisis, it, I think it was kind of thrust on the real estate industry that in fact they do. Um, uh, tabling the environmental question, I think everyone more, um, more clearly understands that the landlord of their office building or the landlord, the landlord of their multifamily asset has a massive impact on public health and their personal health, more so than anyone would have understood. And there's also other big trends and themes that are colliding with this, the imperative to create more affordable housing in cities and the role that real estate and capital markets play in that. It's becoming more and more obvious. And so I think the real estate industry um, has kind of almost had this responsibility thrust on it from a public health perspective from a social equity perspective. I think also from an environmental perspective, like we were just talking about it, in a way that 
I wouldn't say it didn't want that thrust on it. It just never self-conceptualized as having those responsibilities. Um, but I absolutely think that the real estate industry is, you know, one of the biggest levers we can turn as an economy and a society to affect the kinds of change we want. We already talked about it with respect to environmental, but the same is true with respect to social inequality and um, how we correct certain demographic issues that we are concerned about as societies. And they vary, right? Country to country, city to city. But real estate is this massive lever. And I think it's dawning on everyone. It's dawning on the real estate industry. It's dawning on regulators. It's dawning on tenants even that decisions around the built environment are profound when it comes to building the kinds of societies we want, building the kinds of sustainable lifestyles we want for our, for us, for our children, for the world. So real estate is kind of taking on this, um, I'd say a, 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 the business of being a real estate owner, I think is going to be a lot more complicated going forward than it was in the past. And if you saw the interview with Sylvain at Ivanhoe Cambridge, one of the things we talked about was the fact that I think being a great real estate investor today looks a lot like being a sociologist, right? Because you are forced to internalize, you know, all of these trends, consumer preference trends, demographic trends, technological trends, and then articulate them in allocations to or the construction of real estate assets that have huge implications on that and creating or not creating the outcomes we want socially, environmentally, economically. And I think that real estate owners like Ivanhoe Cambridge that embrace that and say there's more incumbent on my role. We have a social responsibility. We have a, a global responsibility that maybe 10, 20 years ago we didn't identify as having. Those that do, I think, are going to excel. And I think they're going to be beacons of progress. And I think they'll be rewarded for it uh, brand-wise, commercially, with respect to capital markets. I think the real estate owners who um, kind of shirk that responsibility and say, no, we're real estate owners. We don't have to do this, right? We are in the business of building buildings. We're not doing technology. We're not doing environmental investment. We don't need to worry about the social downstream implications of our assets. They're on the wrong side of history. And I think history will be unforgiving to them. And in capital markets are starting to be unforgiving to them. Um, and I also think it's a lost opportunity. It's a lost opportunity to leverage this, you know, one of the most powerful instruments we have to affect social, environmental, and economic change is the built environment, right? And the built environment, you get to build once. It has this kind of challenge of when you build something, it's usually there for a long time. So let's build it the right way. Let's, let's bring the right frameworks, let's bring the right priorities, let's bring the right considerations to those decisions. And it's like Ivanhoe Cambridge is doing so with respect to capital allocation, but it's all the way down to the architects. It's all the way down to the fundamental building systems technology. Like the decisions we make as an economy and as a society around the world we want to build is articulated. The paintbrush is real estate. Right. That is the paintbrush of our society. And so I guess I take a very uh, maybe 
forward-looking, bold, grand view of what those responsibilities that are incumbent on the real estate industry are and will become. But I don't think I'm alone. I think that we see it in Fifth Wall's strategic LP base. Um, real estate owners are leaning into this. They are leaning into this new responsibility. And um, I tend to be more of an optimist um, that there are going to be icons of the real estate industry that are being crafted and molded and forming their worldviews right now. And I hope that Fifth Wall and what we're doing in our climate tech fund or what we're doing in our prop tech fund or what we're doing in our European fund, we become an instrument of those realizations. Even as a pessimistic journalist, I love a bit of optimism from time to time. <laughs> and, I'm and I'm really glad, glad you used the word powerful because I think, I think the real estate industry doesn't always um, see that in, in itself. And it does, you know, it touches absolutely everything. And I think it you know, it does have such a wonderful role that it can can play. And if it understands its story better and articulates it well and paints it nicely, then the rest of the world will see that see that too. And I think that that can only be a good thing. And the role of journalism is is really important in it. I think the role of journalism in um, you know how it characterizes the real estate industry, the kinds of questions that are being asked, you're seeing a change. You're seeing a change today. I mean. The, the questions you're asking me are the right questions. You know, these are questions that I imagine you ask real estate landlords. And I think that, you know, the fact that the press and kind of the media is talking about this, regulators are talking about it, their tenants are talking about it. The conversation is changing. The, the, the earth is shifting under the real estate industry's feet. And the future is one of, you know, much graver responsibility. It's a technological future. It's a sustainable future. Um, and I think it's, it's awesome what the press is doing, the real estate press in particular, in shaping that and instigating that and accelerating that. And I think it's really important. Like I said, I think of Fifth Wall as being an instrument of that change. Um, and I think of media as being an instrument of that change. I hope this conversation itself is an instrument of that change. Um, and maybe that, again, is the optimist in me. <laughs> I certainly hope so. So final two questions, because I know I do have to let you go. And it's a bit, they're a bit mean because they're, they're quite open. Um, so that there would be the biggest lesson that you've learned over um, the last four years. And I guess that then it's the ambition. Um, and, you know, you, you've said it, I guess, being in the instrument for, for change, but the ambition for, for Fifth Wall. Um, biggest lesson is a very hard one. Um, you know, I, I would kind of draw a lesson out that, that's been a realization for me in, in building Fifth Wall, which is that the way things are, there's not only a good, there's not always a good reason for. Um, when we first started Fifth Wall, we took a lot of advice from other, you know, general partners and, and venture capital funds around how we were building this very unique, very atypical model. Um, and I listened to all of those insights and all that input, but we built Fifth Wall in a very different way. And I think the grounding principle I had was that a single solution, Fifth Wall, what I wanted Fifth Wall to be, was the best solution. Like I said before, I thought that a single asset manager that kind of almost monopolizes deal flow in real estate technology is actually the best outcome for the real estate industry because they have access to the best insights, the best companies. It's the best outcome for our portfolio companies, right? Because they have more distribution. 
um, and obviously it can generate you know a lot of financial return, which is positive. Um, and that was that was I think then a very contrarian view um, of how you know um, asset management works. But I wouldn't say we've decisively validated it. But if you look at kind of real estate technology or prop tech, it appears to be increasingly validated. And I think we'll have more things to share with you uh, in the future that will further validate that. Um, so I guess the insight I draw from that is that, you know, thinking differently is a positive, can be a positive, and be approaching something with a new construct, a new mindset is very positive. So I drew that lesson out for asset management, but I think the same thing is true with respect to real estate CEOs thinking about their business, that maybe there isn't a good reason why things have historically been done a certain way and you have an opportunity to rethink it. Um, I think your second question was around what what our ambitions are and what we want to do next. Um, I'm going to answer this probably uh, disappointingly in a, a hand wavy way because we have to give you something to write about in the future. Um, but what I would say is my view is that this secular collision between real estate and technology, um, it is one of the most economically profound things happening in the economy. Um, hundreds of billions, perhaps even trillions of enterprise value are going to be created at this intersection. Um, and you know what I believe the grounding principle is that a single solution is the right solution. And so fifth wall today is kind of being synonymous with real estate tech. What's incumbent on us to do is expand our network to capture the various features and contours of this collision. Um, and so that means things like our climate tech fund. That means things like our retail fund. That means things like our expansion into Europe. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if fifth wall expands into Asia right in the near term. Um, I think there are other features of this with respect to hard assets and credit. There, this collision is one of the most transformative things happening in the economy. And one of the things that excites me about it is one, this confidence that fifth wall can be the singular solution to kind of accelerate the change that I want to see in the world and the real estate industry, um, but also that it has the ability to reframe what the real estate industry means and what the real estate industry is, uh, which is really the, the last thing we talked about. I kind of see Fifth Wall as a harbinger kind of shepherding in a new era of what real estate means, uh, a new mindset, an environmental mindset, a socially oriented mindset for the real estate industry. And I guess that's what excites me. And I think that, you know, all of our ambition as a firm um, can kind of be characterized in that. We want to shape and influence influence the real estate industry to be the best version of itself. That's probably the way I would I would best say it. We want Fifth Wall to be an instrument of that change, technologically, environmentally. Um, and I remain really positive that you know, the most forward-looking real estate owners will embrace that possibility and use Fifth Wall as an instrument to affect that internal and external change in a way that really excites me. I mean, all of our ambition can probably be characterized in that desire to be an instrument of change for the real estate industry. Um, so 
honestly, I'm really excited, right, to, to play that role. I think it's a it's a great ambition and a and a purpose as well, I suppose, which is is what um, what makes ambitions real. I, I suppose if you really if that is the purpose of your 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 being, then uh, it, it'll happen. So I feel optimistic, too, which is odd for a pessimistic journalist. But thank <laughs> you for such a, a wonderful conversation. Um, I know we could go go on um, for a long time, but I should let you get back to some some Utah snow and uh, the sun is actually shining in uh, here in uh, in the UK, which is, you know, unique. So I should uh, get a little bit of that on my skin as well. But Brendan, thanks so much for, for chatting to us today. Yeah, thank you, Samantha. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the EG Property Podcast. We hope you found the content insightful and helpful. If you'd like more of the same and to keep up with all the latest news, views, analysis and research that the EG Group has to provide, be sure to sign up to all of our property podcasts and subscribe to Radius Data Exchange for unlimited access to all of our content and comprehensive commercial real estate data.